So far on the Cultural Enterprises podcast, we have looked at topics including e-commerce, buying, commercial strategy, and the profile of trading within the wider organization. But we haven't covered the topic that can affect the success of all of those areas. Not budgets, strategy, or even staff, but leadership. Great leadership makes a great organization. It brings the best out of staff and the inspired can become inspirational themselves, improving performance, hitting targets, delighting visitors, and arguably, most importantly for this sector, having a positive result on your bottom line. It's not just about being a manager, it's also about being a good leader, which is slightly two different things. It's not just about being operational and getting the job done, it's actually about inspiring and listening to the staff and being collaborative. More from that interview later, where three top leaders from the cultural enterprises sector braved an early start on the morning after the 2019 Association for Cultural Enterprises Gala Dinner to chat with us. Now that is true leadership. Before that, and in a slight change to our normal format, we're going to look at a free course from the Cultural Enterprises Academy. Whatever stage in your career you are currently at, a quick guide to performance coaching and mentoring has specific content for you. Not only does the course explain the differences and similarities of coaching and mentoring, it also shows potential coaches and mentees which will be best for you and how to make the most of the opportunity. Furthermore, the course teaches coaches and mentors how to have good conversations, explores the GROW model, that's goal, reality, options, will, and importantly, gives do's and don'ts surrounding mentoring. We believe that self-directed learning has power because you take control of your development and your future. This free course will help you on the first steps towards this. To take the course, if you would like more information on self-directed learning, or if you are interested in becoming a coach or mentor, please visit culturalenterprises.org.uk slash academy. Now, as promised, we're going to take you back to the Association for Cultural Enterprises conference early in 2019, where three leaders in the cultural sector were kind enough to join our digital and communications director, Robin Cantrell-Fenwick, to share their experiences on leadership. I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Gillian MacDonald. I'm Head of Business Development and Enterprise at Historic Environment Scotland. I'm Ione Saroyan, and I'm Director of Merchandise Operations at the New York Historical Society in New York City. And I'm Gabriella Gandolfini, Deputy Director for Visitor Experience at the National Theatre. And we're here today to talk about building great teams, and I don't think there's anybody in the world of cultural enterprises or in the world of business at all who would say anything other than strong teams are a great thing, strong teams lead to successful businesses, and yet somehow it's a real challenge. What goes wrong? What are, what are the challenges when it comes to building a successful team? Sometimes, you know, there's challenges in our sector for recruitment. You know, I think, do people really see it as an opportunity for a good career path? And I think one of the speakers yesterday alluded to that as well, that's something we probably have to think a bit harder about, about entry level and then where do you go from there and how, as leaders, managers, how do we help people to make that happen? I think another challenge, especially in our sector, is how much money we invest in management training. So I think all the managers are very 
they have the will to actually get the most out of their teams, but very few of them are well equipped to do so and have the tools to manage people properly. I think there's still a real aversion to spending money to actually make money. There's an aversion to actually send people on training and conferences and things like we are doing today because it is a cost, but actually we do need to make that investment. Yeah, I would agree. I think people often find themselves in a position of being a manager of people because they're very good at what they do in their job, but that's a, it's a different skill set. I couldn't agree more with what you both said. There's a lack of investment from the institutions that are paying us to do our jobs to actually learn how to do our jobs. And certainly there isn't any investment in training of a new staff. So you're either good at it or you're not. You're left on your own. What I'm hearing from all three of you is that the role of the manager, the role of the leader in the team, is really important to the success of a great team. Is that right? Agree. Mm, Absolutely. Yes, and especially when we're going one step further about not just managing a team, but actually getting the best out of your team. It's not just about being a manager, it's also about being a good leader, which is slightly two different things. Mm. It's not just about Mm. being operational and getting the job done. It's actually about inspiring and listening to the staff and being collaborative. And again, these are all skills that it's not necessarily you have it or you don't, but you do need to be helped and helped get there. How important is it that somebody working behind the counter in a shop, for example, understands the organisation's vision, mission, goal, strategy, KPIs? Is that part of being in, in a successful team? I think it's crucial. If not, then you're working in a silo, and we're sort of siloed enough within departments in big institutions. But if you can empower your staff with the overall vision of your department, your KPIs, your monthly goals, your yearly goals, but also the entire vision of the institution, I think that brings everybody in to be a part of the mission of the entire institution. And it's very empowering. I don't think staff will ever reach the engagement levels that we expect if they don't know how they fit in and how they they contribute to the organisation. Yeah, I think it helps with the whole interaction with the customers as well, if we're talking about frontline staff. If people understand, you know, why they're there and you know, why they're doing something. I just help think it helps build that relationship on a kind of informal way, you know, not with not sort of forcing it down people's throats, but just to have more kind of buy-in. And what about the role of performance management? I've certainly seen managers avoid positive and negative performance management like the plague. You've got somebody in front of you who is excelling in the role and you don't know what to do with them, and you've got somebody who is really not fitting into the role, really struggling, and you don't know what to do with them either. So how important is performance management in, in, in creating a good team? It's, it is important, but hugely challenging for in both those circumstances. I think it's only fair for the a wider team that you tackle it. And I think, you know, you have to be a big person to allow somebody that's really excelling to really excel. It, you know, can be threatening, but it's great to have those people in your team. And equally, if you've got performance issues, I think it's not easy. And I think for the wider team, though, yeah, it has to be sort of tackled, to be fair. I think for both of those examples, it it's imperative to either nip it in the bud right away if there's a performance issue, and to celebrate and encourage someone who's excelling, to try and help them go further in their career. That that comes back to you no matter what it means. And I don't, I suppose it could be threatening for some, but it's like being a teacher. And when your student, I know this seems silly, it excels, there's nothing but a sense of pride. I'm going to make a sweeping generalization, I own, but 
British corporate culture, I would argue, is awful at celebrating success. We're, we're far too embarrassed to, to celebrate success. And I've seen American corporate environments uh, and cultural organisations where celebrating success is, is part of the day-to-day. It's part of doing the do every day. How do you celebrate success in your organisation? My organisation internally celebrates success ad nauseum constantly congratulating for exhibition openings, lists of people in emails and things like that. And then, of course, somebody's feelings are hurt when they're left out of the long email list. But internally, we do it. I couldn't imagine publishing a schedule for the staff, a weekly schedule, without calling out someone's excellent work that week. And the more I can find somebody new to do that with and celebrate some small thing or large thing that they did, it goes a long way. And Gabriella, can you stick up for British cultural organisations? Do you celebrate success at the National Theatre? <laughs> we do. Um, in our department in specific, one of the things that we do is that we do have the start of the month kind of thing, which is called the Audience Experience Awards, and that goes down really well, and they get a prize, and is always to celebrate success within the National Theatre. So they win, for example, me at a restaurant within the building. You must be leading a team that includes a number of part-time and casual staff. Uh, are there particular challenges when it comes to ensuring, for example, that the part-time and casual staff understand the strategy and the mission and how they fit in? And what are the particular challenges when it comes to leading those teams? Yes, um, so in our department, around 55% of our staff are casual, which means that they, they are not contracted, they only engaged with us, which means that they can accept or reject shifts as they wish. And it works well for both parts, but it's very challenging because some of them won't be with us for a couple of weeks or maybe once a week. So doing training is very hard. Keeping up with their knowledge is very hard. But we do find that they are still very engaged because their job suits them personally. So a lot of them will be actors, for example, and they like the flexibility. They need the flexibility. And it suits us because we can just call them to them to come and work as we need. The key is just to remember why they work for us. What is it that they enjoy working for the National Theatre and keeping that alive. So there's a link to brand, actually, as well. In, in, the, in the case of a flagship organisation like the National Theatre, there must be some intrinsic pride in walking into that building and working in that building every day. Absolutely, and they are extremely loyal to the organisation because they genuinely believe in the work that we do. I own you reacted when you heard that the teams in the National Theatre can accept or reject shifts as they, as they wish. That's not a model that you encounter. I can't even imagine it. <laughs> it sounds dreadful. <laughs> and how do you keep your part-time staff engaged? I think I'm very fortunate. I have part-time staff that have been there many years. For example, 17 years or 10 years. I think the, the staff is, is not huge, not like the National Theatre, but it can grow when we have a temporary exhibition and have a special exhibition shop. So we'll go from nine people to 19 people for a short time. And they stay. They like working there. It's a good place to work and I don't really have that problem. I'd say the issue I would have is a daily communication, making sure that the shifts, depending on what time they start, not everybody comes in at the same time, that everyone has the same information. We don't so much have casual staff, we do have a lot of seasonal staff, but actually we probably are similar, we have a lot of loyal staff that will return to work at our sites, we have 77 sites across Scotland, so um, we have a lot of people that come back every summer and have been for years, and I think it's it's partly to do with the uh, fact that they, they love the site, they're actually very attached to specific places, but also that the organisation treats them well to be able to come back every season for years is, um, is a pretty good option for people. 
And is there a link to values at all when you say the organisation treats them well? Is that just something, in a large organisation, is that just something that happens or do you have values underpinning? Um, I think almost it can be harder in a large organisation when you've got, particularly when you've got geographically spread staff. I think partly what I mean is that you know, we keep people's jobs for them for the season. So, you know, we offer part year contracts, which which suits people. They might do something completely different in the winter and come to us in the summer. So I think that's part of, you know, why they, they like to return. We do try really hard, as I say, not easy when you're geographically spread, but every year when our seasonal staff come back, we have a big welcome event, update them on anything that might be new in the organisation, any new systems, and also brings people together so they can meet fellow colleagues, you know, share experiences. And how about values in your organisation? Do they play a part in, in underpinning your teams at all? I would say that I think it's not talked about where you know here is a list of values that we will uphold it but it is seem seemingly intrinsic in perhaps just the way in which we treat each other what about your top tips for running a successful team helping people to become subject matter experts is one of the most empowering things i can do for my staff so that if if someone feels that they they're the best at knowing the it, what books on New York history for that particular customer who's coming in, or another one on the Tiffany Lamp collection and how we've translated that into our merchandise, that making subject matter experts gives them the confidence to do better and to communicate with the people coming in in such a way that helps them to make sales. Does it potentially also give them the confidence to leave? I suppose, yes, it does. Uh, We've actually had quite a few people, I've been there a very long time, move up into other positions in the museum, and they're still there. And I'd love to think that I had some part in that. I think, for me, um, to create a successful team, is it's really important to trust them um, and to allow them to do their job and to, and to go away and to manage their own teams without trying to micromanage too much and that was probably a bit of a learning for me um, as I became more senior was you can't know about everything and you can't be involved in everything so you absolutely have to trust that you have good people around them who who can just get on with things and be there if they want advice or if they make a mistake but you know people you know it's okay to make mistakes as long as you just move on and, and learn from it so trust is a big thing. I think when we're talking about large teams, so for example front of house, is it can become hard to provide the individual support sometimes, but it is all about setting the goal, even if they are team goals, so people don't go through the motion of just being doing the same thing every day. They need to remember why they are there for and what we're trying to achieve. When it comes to small teams and your immediate teams, for me it's all about understanding what their learning style is. You can't manage everyone the same way because they do not learn the same way. And the moment you learn how to communicate with someone in a different way, they might get more from you. So then coming back to the subject of staff professional development and training, how important is it to resource that, to make the time for that when it comes to building a successful team? Gillian? It's really important and I think important to remember that one size doesn't fit all. People have different requirements, even though you might have a series of managers who are look like they're all on the same level, they probably have different experience and different needs. So it's we have, it's part of our performance management actually, is to go through uh, training requirements. Um, and it's often, it's not necessarily formal going on a training course, you know, it can be coming to a conference and 
networking with colleagues and learning from other people's experiences is, can be as important. For staff training, I think it is really important that each person is trained exactly the same thing in a variety of ways and that they really get an immersion in the building. But I find that the most important thing is to give, get quickly get them up and running with at least one thing that they feel they can do well, that that sort of eases you into the job. If you can ring the sale or restock that shelf or whatever it might be, no matter what, you're not standing around acting or feeling uncomfortable because you don't know anybody and you haven't learned the job yet, you have something to do. And that goes a really long way. So at the National Theatre, we are lucky to be a large organization, so we do have set training modules for everybody, for people to go to. I understand that small organizations don't have the luxury, um, and I think it goes back to what we were saying about equipping managers to do their job well, and staff will learn from their managers, and that is a very powerful thing. So the leading by example and learning what you need to, what you need to learn to also become a manager, you will just learn that from them. So managers need, have got to go to the training. Thank you very much. I'm certainly still searching for the one thing that I can do well. So thank you very much for being part of this conversation today. Thanks again to Gabriella, Iona and Gillian. It should be noted that Gabriella has since left the National Theatre and is now a freelance coach for performance. Gabriella is also a subject matter expert for the Cultural Enterprises Academy, which includes presenting the coaching and mentoring course mentioned earlier. So... Ready for some leadership tips? Tip 1. Lead by example. It should go without saying, but if you want your staff to be professional, punctual, courteous or have any other attribute, then you need to show as well as tell. It's common for organisations to have their values printed on posters on the wall, but your team will see the real values in you how you behave, what you prioritise, what you do and don't do. Tip 2. Let strategy guide you. Always have your organisation's strategic goals in mind. If you don't know what the strategy is and how much progress you're making to achieve your strategic goals, then who will? You can't direct the resources you control effectively without having a clear view of strategy. Tip 3. Create a shared vision. Whether you're in a position to influence your organisation's strategy or not, you can create a shared vision for your team. Take time out every now and then to lay out your organisation's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats and ask your team how you should respond. Tip 4. Communication is key. You need to be heard, you need to be understood, but you also need to listen. True leaders recognise they don't have all the answers, which leads us on to... Tip 5. Know yourself. Use tools like Simon Sinek's Golden Circle or Clifton Finder, or the Institute of Directors Competency Framework to analyse your strengths and weaknesses. Invite people you trust to give you a constructive outside view. Tip 6. Trust your staff. Each member of your team was hired for a reason. Be there to support, guide and motivate. But make sure you delegate. You can't do everything yourself. Tip 7. But don't be afraid to tackle underperformance. Honest performance feedback, generously and constructively given, is helpful. 
and sometimes a person's strengths just aren't the right fit for a role. Give your underperformers a genuine opportunity to adapt and shine. Be clear about what the gap is and what success looks like. But if it still isn't working out, then you will need to take difficult decisions for the good of the whole team. Tip 8. Learn from your leaders. Most people are lucky enough to have had bosses in the past who they like, admire and respect. It's unfortunately probable that just as many have had bosses where that hasn't been the case. You can learn from all of them, even if it's how not to act. Tip 9. Finally, always look to improve. Are you the finished article? There's always room for development and improvement. You never stop learning. That wraps up this episode of the Cultural Enterprises podcast. We hope you're ready to inspire your teams and don't think we won't be checking up on you. Thanks for listening. As always, if you have any feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear it. You can contact us at info at culturalenterprises.org.uk. See you next time for the final episode of the first series of the Cultural Enterprises podcast, where we will be looking at evaluation.